Welcome to City Harvest Sermon Podcast. Today, we'll be listening to Pastor Kong as he shares about fireproofing your faith. You know, the Bible says we are hard-pressed on every side. So when you are pressed in, that's pressure. When you're stressed, means you're pulled out. So you're pushed in, you're pulled out, you're pushed in, you're pulled out. And I know a long time ago, when I was in Bible school, one of my lecturers used to say, say, you guys, you want to be a pastor, you got to know a pastor lives from crisis to crisis. I want to be honest with you, I never knew it's going to be like this. I possibly wouldn't have signed up. <laughs> so I thought this is a good season to start a new series on how to fireproof your faith. And over the next few times when I preach, I want to share with you how I manage to keep my sanity my peace of mind. How am I able, with all the pressure and stress, to be able to smile at the storm, have good night's sleep every night, and be able to just go through life with no physical, psychological breakdown? How do I manage to keep my peace of mind, and more importantly, to keep my walk with Jesus Christ intact? You know, the truth is, every day, I do need His grace and mercy. I need God to help me. Every single day, I need His revelation and His wisdom because I need Jesus to tell me exactly what to do. A good example this week, what to do. You know, how, how to explain. First of all, I'm not really involved in the situation, but yet, He's my spiritual Father. And He's such a blessing to all of us here, especially in the last four years. When we have gone through a difficult time, He was there as a pillar of strength to endorse us all throughout Asia and around the world. What to say? How to do? I need wisdom. You know, every single day, I need His provision and His deliverance. I need Jesus to be able to fight for me. But most of all, I need to be drenched in His presence and power. When you go through the fire, the most important thing you need is water. So I need to be drenched in the living river of the Holy Spirit to have His presence and His power because if God is with us, we can go through any situation. When I read the Bible and I, I see how when Moses was faced with an insurrection under severe stress, and God said, look, it didn't really matter if even if the whole nation has turned against you, Moses, God said, I speak with Moses face to face. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. In other words, there is a way we can find peace and rest in a midst of craziness, in a midst when everything seems to be going topsy-turvy. When Gideon was so fearful, being overwhelmed by his enemies, and the Lord said to him, Gideon, surely I'll be with you. I will be with you. And then God said, come, let's strike down the Midianites together. So I know that I know that I know that I know if Jesus is with me, then everything is going to be fine. Just like how we sang the song, if Christ is with me, everything is going to be all right. So deep down on the inside of us, there must be a longing a cry, a thirst for the presence, for the power of God. Like how the psalmist cry out in Psalms 42, as a deer pants 
for the water. So my soul longs for you. Right? I mean, that's how the psalmist, the sons of Korah, they cry out to God. You alone are my heart's desire. So I long to worship you. God loves it when we seek after Him. God loves it when we long for Him. He says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. And more than anything else, God wants to give us His presence. Turn to your neighbor and say He wants to give you His presence. Come on, tell him that right now. He says, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now let's personalize that in our context at City Harvest Church. God is saying, I will dwell in City Harvest Church. I will walk among the people of City Harvest Church. I will be City Harvest Church's God and City Harvest Church's people will be, or members will be my people. And I believe God wants that. So what I do? I come to His presence daily. That's how I cope. I want to be honest with you. If there's a vacuum of God's presence, I probably would have collapsed a long time ago. And how do I do that? How do I fireproof my faith, keep my walk with Christ intact, and come into His presence? I do that daily through thanksgiving, praise, and worship. Thanksgiving, praise, and worship. And the first thing I want to talk about is thanksgiving. So look at 1 Thessalonians 5, and verse 16 to verse 18. It says, Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Good times, bad times, happy times, sad times, always means always. Always means Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Morning, afternoon, night. Always means when you feel tired or when you feel strong, when you feel sleepy or you're totally wide awake. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Not some things. Not only in a few things, not only in victorious things, but in everything. Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I may not know everything about life, but I know no matter what I'm going through, the good, the bad, the ugly, God's will for me in Jesus Christ is always to give thanks. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for this situation, for that situation. And sometimes, I know it's hard to give thanks. I know sometimes when everything looks so bleak in your family, in your marriage, in your job, your circumstances, your finances. I know sometimes the future looks hopeless. You can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You can't even see what's at the end of the distant horizon. Everything looks bad. Sometimes I feel that way. What to give thanks? So to help myself in my computer, I put down a list of things. <laughs> you know, and every time I got something new, I just add on to the list to remind me every single day why I should be thankful. So let me read to you. I print out, for example, a list of what I should be thankful for. Let me tell you, this, this is when Pastor Kong doesn't know how to be thankful. I take out a list and I thank God. <laughs> 
I thank God for giving me my wonderful wife's son who stood with me all these years. Hey, praise God. All right, you can give the Lord a big clap for son. Amen. Hallelujah. But if you're going to clap, it's going to be a long clap. So just listen, all right? I thank God for protecting Dayan in this season of life. I thank God for preserving my father and my mother through it all so that in, in the midst of all the spiritual warfare, I don't have to really worry about them. I thank God for helping my in-laws grow spiritually. I thank God for sustaining me with good health, that I'm not breaking down physically. I thank God for never failing to provide for me. I thank God for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I thank God for supplying revelation for my sermons so that every week I'm able to continue to feed the flock. I thank God for the gifts of faith and healings so that God encourages me. I thank God for the faithfulness of City Harvest Church members. I thank God for disciples who are staying loyal to me. I thank God for our leaders who are so committed to our vision. I thank God for giving me you guys who are so strong in faith. Come on, give your neighbors a big clap. Hallelujah. Amen. I thank God for moving so many intercessors all around the world to pray for me practically on a 24-7 basis. I thank God for sending me prophets who are giving me prophecies practically every single day. I thank God for our church staff who are working so tirelessly to rebuild our church. I thank God for the praise and worship team who help me every week to touch God. I thank God for Pastor Phil and Dr. Bernard in advising our church. I thank God for Dr. Yonggi Cho for who he is to me. I thank God for our disciple churches who are standing strong. I thank God for all the bishops and pastors in the city, in Singapore, who is always praying for me. I thank God for giving me two wonderful dogs who brighten up my every single day. Oh, come on, let's give the Lord a big clap. I thank God all the time. <laughs> Hallelujah. Good days, bad days. I keep thanking God for everything, the big things, the small things. You know what, friends? Even if you feel you have nothing in your life to thank God for, remember He has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. Jesus shed His blood to wash your sins away that you can know that you know you have eternal life in heaven. In fact, eternal life from now and you have a mansion in heaven one day. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So every day, I make a conscious choice to thank God in my prayers, in my thoughts, in my conversations. I try to pepper my conversations. Sometimes, even among non-Christians, sometimes, if something great, I say, oh, thank God. I mean, non-Christians now, they say, oh, my God, so I can say, thank God. They may say, oh, my God, in that count, thank God. <laughs> I mean, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Now, when somebody does something good for us, we say thank you. It's natural, it's logical. So we thank God for what He has done. We thank God for what He has done. He has given us salvation. He has given us healing. He blessed us. He worked miracles for us. But we praise God for who He is. So there's a difference. We thank God for what He has done, but we praise God for who He is. He is the great God Almighty. 
So the second thing we want to look at is praise. No matter how bad your circumstance in your life may have changed, nothing changes the fact. Great is still our God and greatly to be praised. God is still the creator of the whole universe. He's still the all-powerful, all-knowing, the ever-present God. Nothing will ever shake him one inch of his throne. No matter how the economy is doing, he's still the abundant provider. You know what? No matter how many are sick and dying, he's still the healer and the life giver. So we praise him for who he is. Praise is therefore a very powerful act of faith. And because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, in spite of how our circumstances may have changed, all of a sudden you become very sick. All of a sudden you need operation, got to be hospitalized. All of a sudden you got retrenched and lose your job. All of a sudden you're faced with a situation in your life, in your relationship. No matter how your circumstance may have changed, you can still exalt Him at all times because He's the same. So praise, therefore, involves sacrifice. You put aside your own feelings. You put aside your own sadness, your own disappointments. You put aside your own heartaches. You put aside your tiredness. You put aside all your worries and your frustration. And you keep declaring His greatness. God, you are great. God, you are great. Great is our God. Greatly to be praised. No matter how bad things are for me, you're still great. You're always great. You will always be great. So you learn to praise Him. Praise creates always an atmosphere of faith when Jesus Christ can walk in. Hebrews 13 verse 15 says, why don't we all read this verse together, starting now. Therefore by Him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. So we are to praise God, how? Continually, all day long. So I praise God in my shower. You know, I, I, I have a speaker in my bathroom that I can connect an MP3 to. Sometimes I connect my phone too. And then when I'm showering, I'm praising God. In fact, in my family right now, even little Dan, he, when he takes his shower, he also wants to sing kids' praise. Every time, Dad, can you please put it on? You know, crazy easy for you, crazy easy for you. And then he'll jump up and down in the shower. I would go crazy. How do you sing? I go crazy for you or something like that. I praise God in my study as I do my work. In my drawer, there is a speaker that I actually connect to my laptop. So as I work, I'm praising God. I praise God as I drive in the car. I praise God as I go about my daily work. In everything that I do, I praise God in the airplane with my iPod. I praise God, I put myself to sleep. It praise. Some people use sleeping pill, I use praise. I praise God in my hotel room when I go overseas. You never know what people do in the hotel room. You don't know what happened on the bed. It doesn't matter. I praise God the place is sanctified. So I praise God all the time, all the time. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. 
But what happens when you can't sing out loud? For example, in the last one year when I'm in court, what happens when I can't sing? I mean, you, you, you can't go to court and jump up and praise the Lord. The police will... Mm. When you can't sing, maybe you're in a meeting, maybe you're in a bus, you're in a train, you can't sing out loud, you can't praise God out loud. Then you praise Him, you'll be loud in your thoughts. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, And my God shall do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. In other words, God hears our thoughts. So when I'm in court and, I, and I'm there for about eight hours, seven hours, nine hours, I let my thoughts be loud to heaven. God, I praise you. Praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him at all times. Praise is a very powerful instrument of war. You know that? The Bible calls it the high praises of God. It's very powerful. In fact, I want you to look with me at Psalms 149, verses 6 to 9. Let's all read these verses together, starting now. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with feathers of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all his saints Praise the Lord. So the Bible talks about the high praises of God. And God is going to do something to the nations, the peoples, the kings, the nobles. Now, when the Bible talks about those stuff, He's not just talking about people. He's talking about demonic principalities and unclean spirits ruling over cities and over nations. As we lift the high praises of God with our mouth, God will show Himself strong against the demonic powers. So it's not just a sing-along. It's not just a religious karaoke that we are going through. The Bible says we are in the midst of very intense spiritual warfare. And verse 9 says, this honor have all his saints. This is an honor given to us. Angels do not have this privilege. Only we have this privilege. In other words, when we lift up the high praises of God, God will move to fight on your behalf, on my behalf. Even our clapping when we sing are very powerful. It's very powerful. Job 27 verse 23 says, Men will clap their hands at him, that is the devil, and will hiss him from his place. That means when we clap our hands in praise, demons can no longer lurk in the secret hidden areas of our lives. Let me tell you something. There, there could be sicknesses in your body that even the doctors cannot find what's wrong with you. You say, I don't know what's wrong with me. When you begin to clap and begin to sing, those demons of sickness will be bound and be cast out. <laughs> Hallelujah. Sometimes you feel like something's happening in the company. I, I can feel people are maneuvering. Some people are plotting. You don't know what's happening. But when you begin to clap your hands, and you begin to sing to the Lord, those demonic forces can no longer look around. They have to go in Jesus' name. And then even things like when you move your feet, when you leap, when you dance before the Lord, 
They're all very powerful actions of praise. Let me take you to the New Testament and look at Jesus, right? Go with me to Luke chapter 10 and verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They just had a mighty deliverance ministry. Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now watch. The feet is symbolic of authority. When you begin to dance, when you begin to leap before the Lord, it's the authority of you trampling upon the devil that God has put under your feet. So it's a very powerful action. Now, what happens next is really interesting. Jesus says, verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now, verse 21, let's all read together. Everybody's studying now. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. The Bible used an interesting word. He said, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit. That word in Greek is agalio, which means to jump for joy. Jesus was jumping for joy. He was exalting with exceeding gladness and joy. Here we see a very private human side of Jesus Christ. Now we know Jesus is 100% God, but he's also 100% human. So here was Jesus. Imagine it, 70 disciples came back. Oh, Jesus, you wouldn't believe it. We went and prayed for people. Demons were cast out. Oh, it was amazing. Pow, wow, bam, wham. It was amazing. Jesus said, oh, that's good, that's good. But boys, boys, don't be too excited. Don't get carried away. It's good. You're learning a little bit of authority. It's good, it's good, it's good. All right, go and do your things. Go, go, go and do your cell group meetings now. <laughs> so the disciples left the room. Jesus now alone. And he got... When the door is locked, he goes, oh, God, I thank you, Father, I thank you. You show all these things to my disciples. Jesus was dancing. He was leaping. So the next time you leap before the Lord or dance before the Lord, don't feel bad. Don't feel silly. Even the King of kings, the Lord of lords, rejoices over us with singing. Oh, Hallelujah. Let me ask you this morning, this morning, how many of you want to offer the high praises of God to overcome the powers of darkness over your life and your family? Amen. Hallelujah. So when I go through a, a difficult time, instead of being negative, I build up my faith by thanksgiving and praise. God is a very positive God. So I keep thanking Him. I keep praising Him. But what I really want to share this weekend is not thanksgiving and praise. You notice the title? What's the title? The title is on worship. This is what I want to share with you today, worship. And that is my secret, my key of going through the fire and not be burnt. This is my secret of walking with the Lord. In the midst of of any crisis, this is what keeps me centered on Christ every single day.
Now, let's be very clear about this. God is not looking for worship. God is looking for worshippers. God is not looking for worship. He's not looking really for the latest style or latest music or latest song. And I know that sometimes you get very excited. Oh, this is worship. I got the latest song. You, have you heard the latest thing? And, and as a church, we are pretty much on the cutting edge of all those stuff. But those songs and style and lighting and instrumentation, they should help us to be better worshipers. Because God is not looking for worship. He's looking for worshipers. In John chapter 4, there was a Samaritan woman and she was fixated with the worship place and the worship style. She came to Jesus and said, you know what, Jesus, we Samaritans, we worship on this mountain, we have this style. But you Jews, you go to Jerusalem, you have the temple worship style. And Jesus said, lady, you don't get it. What God is looking for, what God really wants are true worshipers who will worship the Father in spirit and truth. So let's talk about true worship for a moment. Let's talk about true worship for a moment. Let me get this right off the bat. This may shock you. True worship is unselfish and unconditional. That means there is no personal agenda. Let me explain. Let me explain. When we thank God, thanksgiving relates to God's goodness. Right? God is good. All the time. All the time, God is good. So when people have done good things for you, you say, what? Well, you are good. <laughs> if they have done bad things for you, you say, what? Well, you are bad. <laughs> so it's very conditional. God, I thank you because you have saved me. You have healed me. You rescued me. You bailed me out. You delivered me. I mean... You thank Him because He has done good things. It's logical. It's natural. Praise relates to His greatness. You may be in trouble, but you have faith. God is so powerful. He's so mighty. God is so great. So you declare it. And when you proclaim His greatness, sometimes it can be a sacrifice because you're in a fix. You're desperate. You need a miracle. So he said, God, I will trust you. I'll put my faith in you. I'll speak to my mountain. But you know, at the end of the day, you want God to rescue you. When you read the Bible, you look at all the praise stories. Jehoshaphat, he needed deliverance. Paul and Silas, they needed deliverance. Everyone that praised God, praised Him by faith, offering the sacrifice of praise. But there's still a personal agenda. You want His help. You want His healing. You want His miracle. You want His blessing. And if those things don't happen, you can get very discouraged. I don't understand. I, it was so hard. I praised, I praised, I offered the sacrifice, but still God didn't come true. And you can even get upset. So thanksgiving, praise, there's personal agenda. But when it comes to worship, it's very different because worship relates to His holiness. Now, I know holiness is like a very ethereal, airy-fairy word. What do you mean? I, I like to put it this way. It relates to His loveliness. So, God is so lovely. 
His altogether loveliness. He's so beautiful. So we worship Him in the beauty of His holiness. The word holiness means unique, separated. God is, there's no one like God. So you love the Lord and you want Him to know, Lord, I honestly love you. I really do. I honestly, honestly love you. Now, when you're in love with somebody, it doesn't matter if the person has done anything for you or not. It doesn't matter if the person has done anything good or benefited you in any way or not. Look, if you can only love somebody because the person has done something good, like Thanksgiving, which relates to Thanksgiving, or because the person is great to help you, which is praise, then your love is very shallow. If I only love you because you can do something good for me, or you're great enough to help me, my love is conditional, shallow. Worship is not like that. But when you can love someone with zero precondition, no precondition, no agendas, no strings attached. That's worship. So worship is never for ourselves. It's ne- I, I don't worship God so that I can get healing in the worship atmosphere, so that I can get deliverance, I can get blessing. Sometimes people say, you know what? I, I hear church leaders talk like this. We got to have good worship so it can attract people to come. Hey, that worship has an agenda. That worship is to impress others. It's not for God. Worship has no agenda. Are you getting this? You see, worship is born by love. Praise is born by faith. And you have faith to get. Worship is born out of love. Even you get nothing. Even if the healing doesn't come. Even if you prayed your best for your healing of cancer and the healing doesn't happen, I will still worship you. Because I love you. It doesn't matter if anything good happened or not. Even if Jesus Christ does nothing more for you, you love Him because you can't live without Him. Life without Jesus is worthless. has no more meaning. That is what being in love and staying in love is. In the New Testament, the word for worship in Greek is the word proskunio, which means to lean forward so close to kiss. To lean forward so close, you want to kiss. In Luke chapter 7, 38, there was a lady who came to Jesus, washed his feet with her tears, wiped it with the hair, kissed it, and then anointed the feet with oil. That's worship. She was not there to get something from Jesus. She's there to worship. Worship is really two lovers responding to each other, drawing as close as we can to Jesus, to touch Him, to embrace Him, to kiss Him. So true worship gets very intimate, it's the consummation of our love for God. It's the greatest expression 
of our love to Him. When I worship God, a piece of my heart, a piece of my love, a piece of my affection left me. A piece of me left me and is given forever to Him and I will never take it back. That's what worship is. So when we worship God, we come with an attitude of submission. Never aggression. So that is why sometimes when you have very aggressive singing, like praise and all that, and it's great. You clap, you shout, you sing, musician playing very strong, the song leader is pumping the people. Come on, lift up your hands, lift up, sing louder, louder, stronger, stronger. You're very intense. And then you, you leave the place, you feel like great singing, nice instrumentation, famous song leader, but I didn't touch God. Because there isn't a place, a moment of submission. That is why sometimes in worship, there's nothing more to say. There's nothing more to do. You just prostrate before the Lord and pour all your love for Him. And as you worship, your heart opens up and softens. And your emotion is touched very deeply. You trust Him and you become very vulnerable to Him. So you become very open up in your heart. You become full of devotion and reverence and honesty. You say, God, I'm here. I'm honest with you. Look at me as I look at you. And God then reveals Himself. Very often He speaks to you. And His presence and His power washes over you. The heart of worship is really the worship from the heart. And when two lovers become one, See, when two lovers become one, that's when you become more and more like Jesus. That's when you look like Him. You feel like Him. And that's my prayer for City Harvest Church, that we become a people of true worship. So when people look at City Harvest, they say, wow, they're like Jesus. Now, in Luke 22, Jesus was in the garden, Garden of Gethsemane. He had thanked the Lord. God, I thank you for the disciples. I've lost none of them. He had praised His heavenly Father for what He has done. But He knew the cross was coming. He was going to be condemned to die as the sinner of all sinners. He's going to go to the cross. Now, Jesus didn't want that. I mean, no human in the right mind loves suffering, not even Jesus Christ. He said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup be passed from me. Father, if it's possible, I don't want to go through this. But at a moment of worship and submission, he said, but not my will, but yours be done. He gave his life as a life of worship unto God. No preconditions, no, no personal agenda, just submission. 
Jesus surrendered to the will of the Father. And that is what true worship is. And the purest worship is born out of trial and sufferings. You know why? Because true love is very costly. Surrendering to God can be very painful. There's got to be a denial of your flesh. Your flesh wants to do a certain thing, but God say, no. No, this is not good for you. And you say, God, not my will, but yours be done. I deny my flesh because I want to surrender to you. It is costly. You face a rejection from the world. That's painful. I mean, who wants to be rejected? We all want to be loved. Yeah? Then there's intense spiritual warfare because you know obedience will have a backlash from the devil. And then you know that if you obey and obey, you come to a point of total suffering. Hebrews 5 verse 8, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, he learned obedience through suffering. Let me tell you something. To love is to suffer. Maybe you never hear this before, but you might as well wake up to this fact. To love is to suffer. To love is to suffer. To love is to suffer. If you don't want sufferings, then don't choose to love. Don't choose to love. Because to love somebody, whether is it your husband, your wife, your children, your friend, your church, most of all God, is to suffer. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. How many of you want to be more and more like Jesus? Will you lift up your hands and wave at me? Yeah. yeah. You sure? <laughs> because if you want to be more like Jesus, then you are called to this. He left us an example to follow his steps. It's the steps of the cross. It's the steps of suffering. The more we suffer for Jesus, the more our love for him purifies and grows. The more we experience what true worship really is. That is why, you know, it's just amazing. Uh, I, I talked to so many people. You know, this morning I was talking to uh, Pastor Richard, and, and I talked to so many different ones. They say, you know what, Kong, four years ago, this morning I, I did a, a hospital visitation. I met this man. He said, you know what, Pastor, four years ago and now, he says, when I come to City Harvest Church, the worship is so different. And I smile knowingly. I say, you know why? Suffering love. <laughs> <laughs> Philippians 3.10. Paul say, this is my supreme motivation, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his sufferings. Wow, we already don't like one suffering, this sufferings. Being conformed to his death. Now imagine this, next to Jesus Christ, Paul, possibly the greatest man in the New Testament, 
And yet, while he prayed for a lot of sick people, his healing never fully came. He was persecuted all throughout his earthly ministry. And eventually, he died the death of a common criminal in the hands of Caesar. He was beheaded. How do you like to have Paul as your pastor? Wow. And yet Paul said, I love Jesus so much, I will lay down my life for him. I pour out my life as a drink offering unto my Lord. That's worship. I want to end by telling you one story I shared a few weeks ago to the staff in our church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of the greatest pastors in history, one of the greatest theologians and pastors in history. He lived in a time of Nazi Germany. And as a pastor, he cannot accept the regime of Hitler. So he resisted the Nazi leadership. He spoke out openly against Hitler's genocide of the innocent and the massacre of the Jews. He spoke out against it. But what he was really against was the compromise of the church. The church was compromising. And, and remember, he was in Germany. Germany is the center of the Reformation. Martin Luther came from Germany. He said, how could you, the church, who is the leader of the Protestant movement, the leader of the Reformation, now compromise and fail from your commitment? So he wrote a book called The Cause of Discipleship. For that, he was arrested in 1943, just weeks before his wedding. Can you imagine he's going to get married? Hitler arrested him, threw him in jail. He was so in love with his fiancée, even in prison, he longed for her. He missed her, wrote her love letters, and she longed for him. He kept writing letters to the Christians and the churches of the outside world. Please don't compromise. Please keep your consecration. Remember, the grace of God is costly. Please take a stand for your faith. Live totally for Jesus Christ. Hitler hated him so much. In 1945, April, Hitler ordered for him to be hung 23 days before Germany surrendered. Can you imagine? Hitler knew he had lost. Hitler knew he's going to commit suicide soon. Hitler knew Germany was going to surrender. But before he died, he said, I'm going to kill this man. I'm going to make sure Bonhoeffer is dead. After he died, his critics, you know how they say, so stupid. I mean, why must he be so rigid? Just give in. You know, can't he just compromise a bit? Give in a little bit? Recant. I mean, 23 more days, he's going to come out. And then he can marry his fiancée and live happily ever after. His ministry is going to be so great. He's such a great pastor, a great theologian. Just compromise a bit. You can have a whole life to live your ministry. But Bonhoeffer refused to compromise. And in one of his most famous quotes, Bonhoeffer said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Jesus Christ 
calls a man or a woman, he bids him or her to come and die. You see, Dietrich Bonhoeffer understood what true worship is. Worship is a heart fully given in love to Jesus Christ. Worship at its purest and at its highest is when we can totally surrender our lives to Him for the sake of what? Love and obedience. Jesus, out of love, even if it means to suffer for you, even if it means to be misunderstood, even if it means to obey the call, I give my life in sweet abandon, total surrender. I give my life to you. We hope you've been blessed by the message. If you have a testimony to share, write to us at connect at chc.org.sg.